Before we get to today's episode, an exploration of something we today might not be familiar with or understand. When people were killed in some ancient societies, we often think that the response was an eye for an eye, and it led to a blood feud that went back and forth until everyone was dead. That's not wrong, per se, but there were lawful practices to prevent it, and many times this was taken as an alternative. A blood price, as it was sometimes called, was paid after a member of a clan or family was slain by another, often determined as the equivalent price that that person might have brought in for the year or some other predetermined method. The culture often determined this, and we know that the Viking Norse and some Celtic societies such as the Irish had versions of this. Today, at least theoretically, we explore that. But before that, previously on Goddessy. Lou has returned to Ireland and discovered his people in chains. Writing to Tara, he had a happy reunion with his uncle and discovered Brez, the half-Fomorian like himself, sits upon King Nuada's throne. Sneaking into the royal court of Brez, he met with Turian, an enemy of his father, while maintaining a secret identity, and then Brigid, queen of his people, who pointed Lou to the north, where his father might be. Yet he needed to hurry, for the sons of Turian were hunting in that area, and if they find him, there will be blood. Welcome to Goddessy, Episode 7, A Truth Buried. The rain fell in sheets, distributed by wind as dusk settled. Lou lit a fire beneath the craggy outcropping, free of the wet and cold. Felinus and Inbod kept close as much for the heat as for fear of rain. It had been since before Tirnanag, what felt like a lifetime ago, that he had felt so cold. Wrapped in his cloak, his clothes were soaked to the core. He hung them on a vine beneath the cliff, near enough to the fire to dry while the cloak kept him warm and safe, magically resistant to the wet. Two days had passed since Tara. This all felt like a fool's errand in truth, with no sign of his father anywhere, nor the sons of Turian, he grew nervous. He had seen a few houses, a few shepherds following their flocks, but none that could give away any important information. No, he would find no help from his people here, no matter who their allegiance fell to. In the end, as it always did, he would have to rely on the magic of the land and on the Danashi that dwelled in the land. He had spent little time in conversation with the fairies since he had returned to Ireland. They, for their part, kept their distance and remained silent. Lou had very few interactions with them before in his life, not believing in them before he met Bidog, before she had taken him to Tiernanog. After his time in the City of Youth, he expected he'd be more friendly with them. How did he call them up, anyway? How much of the fairy lore of his people was true? He did not ponder the question for long, as light came ever closer from the darkening dusk. Three souls, leading their horses, drenched to the bone. Inbar snorted. Be kind, horse. Well met, travelers. Come, share my fire and find warmth and dry air. Lou felt hospitable despite his irritation. Each one came in with a horse, setting them near Inbar, who greeted them with only a snort. The men were tall, not as tall as Lou, with brown hair save the youngest, who had a sandy hair of the color of flax. Dressed in greens and yellows, they began to strip and wrap themselves in their cloaks, which were all well made, almost as good a quality as his own before coming around the fire. They had no markings that he could distinguish at their joints, no tattoos, and thus he could not determine their loyalties, yet they lacked the characteristic dirtiness of the Fomorians. Whence do you hell? What brought you out in the storm, raging as long as it has been? 
The tallest and eldest set his spear aside. Lou noted its tip was stained red with blood. A hunting expedition. Our father's hogs got loose and went feral in less than a week. Have you heard of such a thing? Lou shook his head. Not in such a time as that. Poor luck in this day and age. And where did your father hail? The middle brother, his eyes a watery blue, sniffed his nose, drying his arms. Out past Tara is our father's land near me. Fair land, that. I recall it from my youth. So where's the pig? The youngest of the trio stretched, not yet sitting down. Fell off a cliff, sadly. Not a flank to salvage that does not belong to the birds. Lou shook his head again. Bad luck, that. A far field away from the me to be this deep into Fomorian territory. I hear only fools and rebels find their way up here. The eldest nodded. Aye, that is true. We've met a fair share of those, and we might count ourselves among them. We've no love for the folk of the sea. Lou shook his head, spitting. Nor I. The middle spoke. Then we count you as an ally, I think. We have some meat we have picked off a hunter, though. A stag that belonged to Balor. Would you like to share it? Lou smiled. I'll make the spit myself. And he did. He cooked their food for them, seasoning it from his own pack. They swore they had never had such venison in their time, not sure whether it was from his cooking or simply Baller's magic. Lou insisted it was nothing to do with him, for indeed the stag had been a fine thing. They in time sang and danced, the four men finding camaraderie with one another. Never once did any of them reveal their names to one another, Lou careful to guard his and knowing that by asking, he would beg them to ask him his name. In the end, as thunder grew louder and their nerves wore asunder, Lou joined them for a drink. It was a harsh thing, suddenly being able to drink as wantonly as they had seen the adults drink before, yet not having the temperament for it. He had stolen sips before as a boy, but never anything so harsh as this. The foreman drank themselves into complacency, the storm almost a forgotten neighbor. May I ask you a question of a personal nature? He said at last, not realizing his words flowed so freely. The eldest of the group laughed, his cheeks flushed. Aren't all questions between friends? Lou smiled, leaning against the cliffside's cave walls. Oh, we're friends. I hadn't realized. The eldest threw his arms up, his two brothers laughing. Lou joined them. I was... I've not spent much time among the people. Our people, that is. I was raised far away, and I'm looking for my father. Never... never met him. What does honor demand I do for him? What... who am I to him? Do you three have a father? The three of them nodded, murmuring in agreement. The eldest spoke loudly. I, your father, you owe him a great deal of honor indeed. Our father is very honorable. He seemed not to know what to say after this. Lou realized the question was too broad. He needed to be focused, very focused. Focused on his fears. My father did a great injustice to the Fomorians, yet was within his right to do so. I fear that when I find him, he will be slain. What shall I do? What can I do? It was a lie, but a white one. These were honorable men. Lou knew that they would be honorable from the way they acted, that they would not slain him when they came in from the wet and cold. He could trust them. The middle brother spoke then. A blood price is the appropriate response if he is dead. The Fomorians are dogs. They will not honor it, but you may try. Lou nodded. What is this blood price? The youngest responded. An Arik. You name your price for the blood that has been spilt, as is your right. They respond in kind by getting that for you. 
And what is an appropriate price? Are they... Are there rules among our people? The city I was fostered in did not have such rules. That was untrue, he realized. Both the Fearbolg and the She had such rules, but they varied. The Fearbolg called for blood, not compensation. The eldest replied, Often something of relative value. If your father was a keen craftsman or herder, you would need something comparable to the loss of labor. If he was a great warrior, a weapon of kind. What is your father? What does he do for the king? Lou shook his head. I am uncertain. Only what I have heard from my uncle. Certainly not a warrior, cunning though he is. A magician, perhaps, and friend of the fairies. He hides from the Fomorians. I heard that there is a hermit out there that could direct me to him, for he hides between Ulster and Connick. Another lie. He was here, and Lou knew that. But he must not reveal his identity, even if these were agreeable men. The sons of Tyrion were about, and he could not risk being caught. The middle brother nodded in agreement. Well, that you find him, we wish you only luck. The Fomorians are hostile to any of us that are not in chains, and I would not wish that upon anyone. He looked to his eldest brother, snoring where he sat and laughed, slapping him on the back. Brian, you need not sit up. I will take the watch. Ikarba, you too, and you, our esteemed host. You have cooked our stag finely, and I can scarcely think of a time that it was better. You have provided us your fire and opened us to your uh, cave. You are deserving of rest, then, I think. Trust in us, and we will leave you a gift. I would trust you anyway, for you are honorable men, one and all. Your father must be proud. The youngest, Ikarba, snorted. Of me, perhaps. Ikar here is about as couth with the ladies as he is with horses. Ikar punched Ikarba in the shoulder. Lou laughed, watching the two brothers as they burst into song, the drink flowing through them. He did not know the words, but hummed along with them, wondering what it might be like to have brothers if his two brothers had survived, if prophecy had not demanded that he be marked for death, or perhaps if the sons of Yaakov had been kind to him. There was a longing there, but a happy one, knowing that these were his kin. The Tawatha di Danan were an honorable folk. When he awoke, he indeed found that he could trust them, and they gifted him one of their spears, a fine thing of his uncle's making, and with a water skin made of tanned hide. From it, Brian explained the night before, any poison could be treated, for the herbs that lined the walls were potent, an admixture created by Dian Set. Lou did not reveal that Gavita was his uncle, nor Dian Set his grandfather, not even his name. They had not realized they had revealed their own, and when they left for me, they were none the wiser that he knew them. He would seek them out once he had done the Morrigan's bidding. He set out himself into the drizzling new day, encouraged and smiling under a clouded sky. The shower let up by midday, and it was then that he picked up something of a trail. Indeed, as the three brothers had told him, he found a dead pig, a spear hole through its flank, yet not at the bottom of a cliff. Instead, beyond the pig, he picked up another blood trail, a splattering of a thing, and he followed it, Inbar having some difficulty with the terrain as it grew more rugged. He tied the horse to a rock, which the horse objected to, but Lou said no more to the creature, not wanting to upset it. Fandalus led him onward, following the trail with his keen nose. Lou went on foot, spear in hand, his hood up as he followed the blood. Not even the rain had washed it away, the stains on the rocks. Lou felt the stones poke into his feet and carried him onward, upward and onward. He thought of the conversation the night before, hoping against hope that he had beaten the sons of Turian, that he might find his father. Was he an honorable man? 
He did, in his way, reclaim the justice of Balor for the price of his cattle. He did save Lou, through Beardog, but what else was he? Why had he ruined the marriage prospects of Turian's daughter? Had he at all, or was it some imagined slight? Or was it worse, and Kavita, blinded by family, was acting ignobly and defended a dishonorable man? Lou wondered if he was doing the right thing at all, regardless of the Morrigan's demands upon him. The sons of Turian seemed to have it out for his father, and Queen Bridget seemed concerned for him. If they found him, would he survive? What if Kian was already dead? What would be a suitable compensation? Lou did not know the man. He did not know what to demand if he failed, if Kian was dead. Of his father, he did not know what to demand if he succeeded. What did he want from him? Was he simply doing this because the Phantom Queen asked it of him, forced him to? Climbing up each harsh step after the trail of blood, he considered that. Lou did resent the man for not keeping him, for not protecting him more. While he knew not the fate of his mother, he knew that his father had always been out there, always fleeing the wrath of Balor, and of Turian, apparently. At least they were not the fear bulk, he told himself. Then the feud between Turian and Kian might go on forever. The summit was at last reached. A wide thing, the blood trail shot across it, becoming larger entirely. If that amount of blood came from a pig, it would have died, he thought. Lou began to examine the earth there, finding mud between the stones and lichen. Footprints. Three sets of sandals and another, a bare set of feet. His breath held tight within his lungs, a force of deathly power growing within it. The edge of the cliff was a sheer thing, falling down roughly a hundred feet. It was there that the blood trail ended, smeared across the black surface of the stone, where the pig, if it was a pig at all, had bled for a time. Then, suddenly, it fell. Lou allowed himself a glance, half expecting to see there a hog or a man at the bottom. He saw neither, but instead, a cairn, a grave of stacked stones. Spear in hand, he looked for a route down, and finding none, began to expect the earth itself, for sign of fairy and magic. As with all mountains, there was strength here, but this was nothing of consequence, a hill of no import save it imposed in relationship to the plains around it. Lou called upon that small bit of power to propel himself down the side, spear slowing him, sending sparks before his sandaled feet as he went down. He landed with a run, running off the energy in a circle around the kern before coming to a halt. He knew the laws, not to disturb the dead, but he knew now he must break decorum. Honor demanded he know. From the top of the cairn was a broken shillelagh, broken by force, a foot of some sort. Lou moved to the top, removing some of the stones and placing them to the side, hoping it would be quick. It would not. He moved stones, digging, looking, until at last it became clear. There was no one in this tomb. This cairn was empty. Lou found himself stumped. The brothers had told him they had run the pig off the cliff, yet there was a cairn. No pig was worthy of that without its master. The blood above was too large for a pig, making him think it might not be the same place. But he doubted it, and Lou had to be sure. Feeling still the power of the earth, of the spirits within that place, he kept a hand on the cairn and spoke to the spirits there and to the hill itself. I am Lou, old before my time, son of Kian Mekkent, called Skalbald, who stood against Balor of the Evil Eye. I am the son of Ethnu, 
daughter of Valor, who stood against her dishonorable father. I was trained by Taltu, queen of the Fearbulk, who taught me to command the earth and the spirits, and it is through her and by my right that I command you to grant me answer to three questions. At first, there was only the blowing of the wind against the cliffside, a kind of crashing against his ears. A mist, too, a cool, cold thing on his back, his cloak bound there. And then, the cliffside began to crack, moving. Name your question that I may answer it. The voice was harsh, a thing that cracked rock with each utterance from the ground itself. Lou stepped from the cairn to get a better footing. Is this the grave of a man? The rumbling moved him, but did not answer at first. Then it spoke plainly. It is. Lou nodded, glad it yielded answers. Can you produce the man whose grave it is, for I fear it has been hidden. The rumbling grew, the bottom of the cliff cracking open, as if a giant stone of black and gray rolled away, cracking into a hundred smaller stones. Within, there was a small enough room for a man to be laid down in it, and Lou stepped forward, upward, with haste. The man's sandals were broken, torn in places, and as delicate as he could, Lou pulled him out. He was tall, not as tall as Lou, with pale skin, pale as death. His hair was black, as black as Lou's, with a small bit of stubble on his chin and cheek. Gray marked the areas above his ears, and braids were broken behind them. His nose was large, almost alien, save for its similarity to Kavita's, and his eyes, barely opened, were barely blue, in a state of milky decay. Lou knew his own face enough to recognize it in this man. The man before him was Kian. His father was dead. Coldness filled his lungs, then his heart. The rumbling had not stopped, merely dampened itself. A question remained. He must give it a question. What happened to this man who was Kian? The rumbling stopped for a moment, seeming to end at the place Kian had been hidden. Then, suddenly, the body of Kian sat up, looking at Lou with eyes that did not see, eyes with lights in them at the end of a long tunnel. The body's movements were unnatural, going against the natural flow. It was not the spirit of Kian, long gone to Tirnanog and beyond, but the spirit of the earth itself, filling the parts of Kian that remained. They hunted him far over the plains. The three sons of Turian found Kian, who was herding pigs for his brother. He transformed into one of them and ran, for they sought his life for his relationship with their sister Danan. He fled across the hills until at last they shot his side with a spear. Still he fled until he could flee no more atop this hill. They caught him and would end him then and there like dogs before a feast. And at the last moment, Kian transformed back into a man, sensing that he would die. He chose instead to die a man, to give his son the right to challenge them, to give you that right. They disposed of the body, and Brian, the eldest, with cunning and magic, hid the body within the earth. So here he resides forevermore. Lou looked up at the man, knowing he was rotting, knowing that it was not Kian. He had never known the man. He would never know him, in fact. Kian was gone now, and if Tirnanog would take him, then he had lived well. Lou felt the flash of rage, putting all the pieces together. 
He knew who Brian, Ikar, and Ikarba were now, that he had felt camaraderie with them, had shared his fire with them, food with them. He cried, weeping openly, and hugged the body. It did not respond, cold to the touch, and he sobbed there for a moment, crying into the shoulder of the body that had been his father, the one he had never known, would never know. When Sorrow had left him with only rage, he picked up the rocks off the cairn and reburied his father, carefully placing each stone back until, tightly packed, it looked better than it did before. He replaced the shillelagh, elegantly putting it on the top. Once done, his face burning from the pain of crying, Lou realized the spear he had held had belonged to Brian, son of Turian. Yes, his uncle had made the spear, and yet, it had been the one of the spears that had killed his father. Sick to his stomach, he placed his feet firm on the ground and thinking he would simply throw it at the mountain, now quiet, he began to pivot, stepping forward to build momentum. He stopped. Lou needed the spear, he realized, to help him prove that they had killed his father, that this was not simply pig's blood, but worse, it belonged to a man. It belonged to Kian, and that granted him the right to revenge. Long had Lu devised revenge against his enemies, the sons of Yakid, the Fomorians. Long had he spent his hours putting his quick mind, his many skills, to the employ of revenge. Almost never did he enact that revenge. With the right to revenge, he could avenge his father and assert himself within his people, the Tuatha Dé Danann. And it all began with this spear. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, Master of the Spirits of the Land. Music by Scott Buckley. Additional sounds by Babua Babua. Special thanks to Brian Moyer, who has perfect hands and a heart of gold, and is our first patron on Patreon. Want a special call-out? Feel free to support the show on Patreon. Check us out there and on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. All those links are in the description below, and when you do, speak to me in the tongues of God and demons. I might respond in kind, but I'll definitely respond. Goddessy Updates Weekly. See you then.